I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the Palatial Franklin Estates in the West End of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, June the 29th. Uh, July will be here very, very soon, which means football will be here very, very soon. Um, my thanks again out, go out to, to Tony Covington for joining me last week. Got the crew back together this week. It's been a really productive week for the Cavaliers on the uh, recruiting trail. We'll get into that and talk about some other, uh, what do you call them, like related recruiting issues or I don't know what to, what you exactly call them. But anyway, we're going to get into not just uh, where things have, have gone suddenly with the class of 2017, but kind of like maybe where they might be going and some of the um, conditions that are kind of impacting things. But before we get into that, let's go around and introduce everybody. Uh, out in Fishersville, right? That's it's Fishersville now. Right? Nailed it. Woo! Uh, we got David Spence is back on the podcast. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you, Brad. Who Dave's on the board at Who Dave's on Twitter? And staff writer Justin Ferber is also back on the podcast. Welcome back, Ferber. Glad to be back at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter, and I'm in Arlington, Virginia. <laughs> I'll, I'll add that to the repertoire. Uh, Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for our in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. So in the last like week. Uh, I feel like every time I've looked at my phone, something's happening. Um, it's been I, I've I think June is usually I've always said that that June is the you know June is really the time when Virginia makes its hay. But this last week has been something I, at least for me unprecedented. Um, of the guys that Virginia's gotten, and we're gonna kind of go uh, through them a little bit. But I want to I want to look at it like this: the guy that Virginia's gotten in the last week that got you the most excited was tell me, Dave, who, who's the who's who's the the commit that Virginia's picked up recently that. That, that got you really excited? Well, I would have said Alonzo before. Uh, is it Jana or Jana? I don't know how to pronounce the last name. but Jana. Jana re- committed. I mean, anytime, I think for Virginia, anytime you continue to build that pipeline that at Woodbury Forest that it kind of disappeared the last few years, that's a good thing because, you know, that, that player kind of meets the, you know, you know, kind of meets the um, academic, right. you know, requirements of Virginia. Right. Yeah. You know, still, Alonzo's a big pickup. I mean, you know, he's not a highly recruited guy, but when, you know, I don't know if we talked about it. Um, you know, with the with the loss of um, Hill, right? Um, who appear, appears to have enrolled at University of Central Florida. We need we need some defensive tackles. So yeah, absolutely. That one that one has me excited. But you know, Jana, I think probably wins out just because of the connection and that boy's a talent so yeah i mean that was that's a good pick i think um y- if you watched alonzo's film uh, not to steal ferber's thunder because i don't know exactly where he's going with it but if you watch jan uh, excuse me you watch alonzo's film you you think all right this is a kid that uh, you're not really sure why he's not getting more offers but the problem is it, i think the the misnomer out there is that like if you're from one of these like really highly recruited states that therefore you're going to get recruited if you're good. The problem is, is that you're surrounded by lots of good players, and so yeah, that gives you an opportunity to show out here and there. But also means that like if schools come and see you, they're not going to see somebody else. And so if there's a lot, you know, if you're a kid in I don't know Emporia, Virginia, you know what? There ain't a whole lot of kids around Emporia, Virginia where coaches aren't going to see. But if you're a kid in Miami, there's tons of kids in Miami to go to see. There's tons of kids in, in that general area. So I, I think it, you you have to look at it from the standpoint of um, I think what Bronco and his staff are doing is that they're finding guys that, that they like, regardless of whether or not anybody else likes them. And I remember when they were going through that rush where they were offering all these highly rated kids, and it was like, yeah, Bronco doesn't care. Well, no, Bronco's looking at p- players and trying to find guys that fit. It doesn't. He doesn't – I mean, the rankings are for fans. And I, and I know that, like, people get so, like, tied to them, and that's great and it's fun, but, like, it's, it's for the fans. Like, it's, it really has no bearing – 
of any substance. You know what I'm saying? Um, so a kid like Alonzo or, you know, the, the Kreider kid who I, I watched this film and I was really impressed. Like those are good, solid, you know, gets, it doesn't matter who else offered. It doesn't matter how highly rated they were. Um, that part does, doesn't really matter. Ferber, what about you? What, what guy in the last week or so that, that Virginia's gotten has really kind of jumped off the, off the screen to you? I thought getting Ryan Daxon was pretty impressive. Um, yeah, that's a big kid. I mean, that's yeah, a really big I, kid. I think his film is good and he's definitely, yeah, like you said, he's got the body. Um, and just getting those kind of players that have the you know significant out of state offers, play for a private school that you would think kind of would send a lot of kids to UVA academically. Uh, getting those kind of kids and and getting back into Northern Virginia as they have a little bit in this cycle with Chris Atkins and him now uh, is a good sign. So I think he was a good ad, definitely. Yeah, that was that's a good point. I think Thaxton is a kid and talking to him. It's funny. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a piece of the story because just because it's a good anecdote. But he said, like the day or so after he committed, uh, Vanderbilt got two commitments on the defensive line. They were only taking two kids, and he thought it was you know he's like I think that's a sign right there. Um, this is a kid who had an offer from Vandy, had an offer from Tennessee, wanted to take visits out there, was in the was in a cookout after his visit, <laughs> eating dinner, looked up at his mom, said, "Ma, I think I'm gonna do this," and he called Bronco and committed. Um, I, that's a you watch his film. That's a he said that the staff told him that they that he reminds them of Ziggy Ansa, and I I can see it. Now Ziggy might be more of a freak, uh, but that kid's got some really good film. To me, I I think the guy that that, that really uh, impressed me uh, the most, honestly, was was Bryson Spees. Um, I I don't think that uh, I, I mean in he's a three star now, but he wasn't at the time. Um, Virginia's done a really good job with this class finding quality offensive linemen. This that's the third guy um, in the class that they got behind Fanning and, and Kreider. Uh, sets the table nicely for them to to finish things up with um, with a couple of maybe more highly rated guys. Guys that we uh, do we have to say his name or not? I don't know. But considering what Virginia needs in this class, they they are, they got two solid guys on the inside. Both can play center. Both can play either center or guard. Um, and then they then they get Spees, who to me looks like a very, uh, you know, his reach. He might not be 6'5 or 6'6, but he's got a, I think he's got good measurables. Um, but he's he's another example of Virginia finding these kids. It, it, the, the Brahms kid from Navarre, Florida, like he was not a four-star, you know, Rivals Camp MVP kid when Virginia offered him. Um, but yet there he was. Um, this one is another one. I mean, I think... Spees is a kid that the folks are going to really like a lot. Um, you know, I think he finally just got tired of the recruiting process, and uh, it makes a lot of sense to me as to why he would he would commit. Um, but I don't think there's a, a necessarily a flyer in the bunch. I think uh, I don't remember which one of you guys said this uh, in our text thread or not, but <laughs> it's a very astute point. The idea that like when when Tony Bennett took over, he wasn't really going after you know high to mid four star kids. He was going after guys that fit. And if they washed out, they washed out. That's understandable. But he was going for guys that fit more than maybe necessarily than guys that were the best of the best. And in a lot of ways, that's what Bronco's doing with this class. You you hear these kids when they talk about uh, sitting down with him and he like reads them the letter or he hands them the letter and has them read him re- has them read it to him. Um, there's there are about more than just football, um, and that is exactly I think what he needs in this class. He needs some guys that he can coach up. He needs guys who are uh, who are bought in from before they get there. Um, he he can't have any more of these transfers 
after a semester kind of nonsense. You know, he needs guys who are bought in from the start, who are ready to work, and quite frankly, who aren't ex- who aren't going to need to be promised anything. You know, guys talk about having the opportunity to play early. That's a very different way that to, for them to phrase it than when Mike was the coach. They would say, "Well, I'm going to play as a fr- I get to play early as a freshman," or you know, they. I remember Jamil Kamara one time telling me something about he could get his number, and I think he said, maybe I shouldn't have said his name out, but I think he said that you know he 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 would be able to start as a freshman. I think he said I had a chance to start as a freshman. Um, but what these kids are looking for, I think, is exactly what Bronco wants to sell. In this class. Now, I think going forward, I think you're going to see them on kids earlier, trying to close faster before uh, those kids blow up. I mean, kind of the timing of every of when they had the opportunity to get in with the 17 kids is a little bit different. But um, I think there's a lot of a lot of standout kids in this in this bunch. I don't think they're. I don't know if I, I'll say like there's an all ACC player in the bunch, but I think that all of these guys can be integral pieces to. Um, you know, a, a, a real rebuild, um, which is obviously what I think fans really want. Um, were you guys surprised to see them putting so many together and such? I mean, were you guys as shocked as as the rest of the world? I mean, that tends to be how it happens in recruiting. Um, now, maybe not to this extent, but you, you start to see a run on them. Um, now, um, the fact that it seems that most of the coaching staff is getting a couple week hiatus. <laughs> right now, maybe maybe when they knew they had a vacation coming up, they really wanted to to go out with a bang. And <laughs> you know, I'm guessing the players knew the coaches were going to kind of take a timeout um, too. But well, they also know that there's a dead. period. It's an interesting correlation between the two things. Yeah, I think the dead period is it makes sense, right? Because what happens is is that you've gone through you've gone through the early part of the semester where you had junior days and you've had a chance to maybe go take some visits. You've had a chance to go see spring practices if you wanted to. Coaches have had a chance to get out on the road for the evaluation period. They've had a chance. A lot of teams that do spring football, they've had a chance to come see you. Um, offers have gone out. Camps have been held. Those offers have gone out. You kind of know where things are in terms of their board. The schools are probably have a much better feel for, like, numbers. So they can tell a kid, like, hey, I'm not trying to put any pressure on you, but we're only going to take X number of this position. Um, I think it's more of that they know they can't take visits between now and then, and so things calm down for them, and they're finally able to step back and go, okay, now what? Um, yeah. And so it makes sense that the guys who 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 camped right before the that 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 camp season ended, it makes a lot of sense that they would jump on the opportunity that they had in front of them and the one that they thought fit them. Um, but what's funny is that I didn't get the sense from any of the guys that I talked to. I think I've talked to them all, but Jan at this point, um, that anybody put any pressure on them. So it definitely wasn't a situation where like guys were like, "Hey, listen, we're about to leave. You should probably get this done before we roll." Um, it was. I think it was much more of a situation where the coaching staff just played it right, and I do think that there is a snowball effect when when a team starts to pick up commitments. Um, I, I think you, you're going to see if they pick up one or two guys that they're talking to, um, you know, start to start to pop too, and that's that's the way it normally happens. But normally it's like three or four, maybe five. You don't get ten in a week. Something or two. Yeah, I mean, recruiting classes are weird because you know they're they're a very fluid thing. So, you know, if you've got, let's say hypothetically, you've got, you know, a couple of four stars, maybe a five star stuck in your recruiting class. When you add a piece that's, you know, and I know we've, I don't think Bronco cares about rankings at all. I mean, he could. How can you survive as being a BYU coach if you do care about rankings? Um, But 
you know, when you if you've got a four star or five star piece in that class, you add a two star or three star or you know, then those guys are nice add ons, right? It, it's just this whole way of thinking it now. There's there's a couple four stars we're pretty much in, you know, pretty good in play with with uh like Jordan Williams and yeah, I'd say maybe he's the best one. <laughs> but you know, if Williams was in place right now, hypothetically, then adding a three star maybe doesn't have people so up in up in arms like when are we gonna add that recruit? Um so I mean it's just the way you look at it. It's, I like the guys they're adding and yeah, the the whole concept of if you just listen to Bronco talking, there's so many speeches of his, and a lot of them, if you've watched one, you've you've heard a big part of it. But I mean, the whole concept of, of building a foundation, um, you know, it's it's very when you take over something that that's been kind of trending the way we, Virginia's been trending, there is kind of that fine trade-off between do I want a guy who completely buys into my vision and has a decent upside, or do I want to take a flyer on the guy who might be better? but I'm not sure is con- committed. Um, now, this is not saying that they're offering guys that maybe not be that, you know, maybe aren't committed. But there is, you know, there is some substance to to establishing that foundation. So, you know, we need numbers. There's, there's We need depth. So y- you look at these players, I think a couple of the guys are maybe a little undervalued. And, you know, Tom will tell. But there's probably a couple guys that kind of are where they are. Um, I'm not going to name names because I don't know which ones they are, and neither do you guys. So it's just kind of the, <laughs> the beauty of the recruiting process. That's true. Um, but if they all buy into what this staff is selling, that's as important, I think, for a young staff trying to re- turn around a program. Like, who cares if if the you know if you're redshirting a guy and maybe he doesn't contribute two years down the road, but in the weight room that off season he is fully committed and he. You know, he is the one who helps turn around a talented player to buy in. So there is there's some of that, and I'm looking at this through orange and blue glasses, obviously. But um, I mean, I like the pieces, and when you get to know these kids and you read their interviews, you see a lot of that. They they kind of echo and they love, and they keep talking about. We come to this, you know, the big the big thread, you know, the big theme this week is, you know, I came to camp and the camp was like unlike any other I've seen, right? Which is you know, that kind of goes <laughs> to what Broncos all about, you know, efficiency organization. Um, you know, I'm pretty excited about what they've put together. I think, you know, it'll be nice to add kind of a nationally known recruit to kind of validate it, but is it necessary? No, but I mean, the uh, kind of nationally recognized recruit I'm talking about who's declaring on August 6th would not only help us in the eyes of the others, but would help us on the field. So, right. um, yeah, you know, I, I think that one piece is all he really needs to make us say, okay, this is a pretty good class considering what this program was, recruit considering the the concerns that everyone had about this staff moving to the East Coast. I mean, I, I, I assume those those concerns are out of the window now. Well, I th- there's been a, well before I get into that, Ferber, jump in here. What you, yeah, please, sir. Do, do you have do you have uh, do you agree with Dave with the bulk of what Dave's saying there? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I do. I think it's important, especially when you're switching schemes to get players to buy in. Um, you're gonna have a lot of you're gonna have attrition. So uh, it's good to have people that are gonna be committed to the program and kind of buy in, especially with the way that the staff is gonna handle their business uh, in you know in the off season with the workouts and everything. So I think that's really important, and I agree with what Dave said that it's really important to also add a 
you know, some top end talent to the class as well to kind of validate, you know, what they're building. So, um, you know, it's not all about buy-in at the end of the day. I mean, you still have to have talent. So I think this group, I mean, this, uh, this group of coaches can definitely attract uh, top level talent. I mean, it's just going to take some time and, you know, some guys are probably going to need to see it on the field. Uh, and that's where you kind of start to see the dividends in the 2018 class and beyond. But I think this is a good start. The thing I would add to this, okay, I got two two main thoughts here. Okay, first is I want to make sure that we don't make the 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 common message board mistake. Okay, which is to assume that highly rated players, okay, don't want to buy in to a team mentality. There's so much talk about that with like Michael Porter and one and duns and stuff that it, maybe I'm a little sensitive to it. But I don't want to make the argument. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want us to be. To, to, to discuss this and anybody come away with it because that's definitely not at least what I'm saying because I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think the thing you want are guys who are completely bought in regardless of whether or not they're highly rated or not. The thing with the highly rated kids, at least in terms of, uh, of what you're looking for, is that it's all about traction, okay? Case in point. Bronco and his staff, I think, did a very good job there throughout the, throughout the spring of offering players that fit. And then they very quickly figured out whether or not said player liked them or not. And they don't waste energy on kids that they don't get traction with. So there were all these kids down the 757 who, who clearly Virginia would love to have. But those kids aren't looking at them. Those kids are looking out of state. And it's very clear to coaches in terms of the, the response they get back, right, whether or not those kids are interested. So in the case of a kid like Jordan Williams or in a case like Becton, like those kids are responding – and the and the coaching staff, then it's like a snowball thing, right? So they, you know, they 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 reach out, the kid re- responds, they reach out, the kid responds, relationship gets built. Okay, now now we're cooking with some peanut oil. I I think the thing that they are doing well in this class is that they're not wasting time on pipe dreams, and I think for me that's what I mean when when I say they're going they're finding kids that fit needs, like that the Gom kid from Texas, yep, fits a perfect need, right? Um, you know, able to get, they went out and got a couple of interior offensive linemen. Have now f- pulled a an offensive tackle. Um, if you look at it from the defense, they've pulled two defensive tackles in a class where they desperately need them. They probably could take one more. Um, they pulled a defensive end in a class where they're going to need defensive ends, and obviously there's still one big one on the board. So it's not necessarily that they're recruiting that they need to focus on high low, lower rated players because those players will buy in. It's that those players are the guys that uh, are about the same things they're about. And so they don't need to drag a recruitment on, right? They don't need to – because a lot of the ca- kids who have a lot of options, they want to they take the time with those options, just like any of us would. Um, so I think Virginia's doing a good job of finding kids that fit what they want to do, and they're definitely doing a much better job than, than you know what we've become accustomed to in recruiting the last several seasons, if not longer, of actually yeah. recruiting to needs. I mean, that's the other thing, too, is that, like – they're not going to go out and sign a whole bunch of wide receivers. I mean, Jana could play wide receiver, probably going to start at cornerback, and and if and if and if that you know if that doesn't look like where he needs to stick, they can move to wide receiver. But they might they might have one wide receiver in this whole class, and that's okay because they don't need a wide receiver or or twelve in this class. Um, what they need are you know guys in the trenches. They need you know some linebackers. It makes sense. Um, the other thing I wanted to say, and you guys were kind of. Uh, talking about this as well, was when we think about the the guys that they are getting, um, I mean, they might have gotten the second-best kicker in the country. 
I mean, Cole's kicking is is kind of a thing, and you know they had they had uh, Delaney ranked pretty highly. Um, he's a three star kicker, which you just generally don't see a lot of. Um, you look at the way that these guys fit and the versatility that they bring. Um, Fannin could play guard or ta- or, or center. Um, Kreider could play guard or center. Spees probably could play guard or tackle. Um, Chris could probably play tackle or end if if need be. Um, Gom could probably, if he wanted to, carry weight to play defensive end, but he'll be a linebacker because they like his speed there. Um, if you think about some of the other guys, you have some you have some length in the in the secondary. Um, you've got um, you know the the Burton kid um, could play multiple positions. I think um, Keir could play. Uh, could could be almost like a like a slot scat back if you watch some of his film. So I mean, th- what I like about this group, honestly, is not just that they're fitting needs, but there's a lot of versatility for a staff that knows how to develop talent. And I think yep. that's a that that's the crux of of a discussion that we've been having, that the board's been having about recruiting. And I don't know if we can say that that Bronco and his staff that any fears that you had about recruiting in Virginia are totally gone i think if you had fears that they would not be able to connect with recruits they're gone clearly virginia they've done a very good job of of making some quick inroads in this state in the surrounding states and they and they're showing some some nice fruit of that labor i do un, i do understand those who are still a little skeptical because they look at it and they say well they're they're not getting the highest rate of players in the state and that's that's something that i understand and and, and i would agree you know if they pull williams and becton those are two incredible gets at two positions of need um, recruiting classes are not ranked by need. You know, Mike Farrell and Adam and and their analysts they're not rec- they're not ranking the recruiting class. Going, we well, you know Virginia really needed linemen, so this three star kid that they got is actually kind of like a four star kid to them because they really needed him. Like that's not how it works. So technically speaking, if you went out and got ten five star quarterbacks, there aren't that many five star quarterbacks. I use it on purpose. That would be a great class on paper, but it wouldn't make any damn sense. Right, so rankings are fun, but I don't know if they're necessarily. And this sounds so counterintuitive, right? But I don't know if you can use rankings as a way to grade "quote unquote" recruiting ability, because all rankings tell you is that this school got this really good player. They didn't tell you anything else, right? Could Mike Lennon recruit better because Trey, because because Trey Nicholson and uh, Taquan Mizell and Quinn Blaine all went to the same high school? Does that help him? Does that make him a better recruiter? No, it doesn't. Those kids recruited themselves, man. Like, and I'm not saying Mike didn't recruit well. I'm just saying that that like somebody got credit for that. But there's a whole lot more going on there. So I don't know if you can say that ju- that 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 good recruiters get great classes. I think it's a piece of it, and it's certainly a large piece. But I think great classes address have to address needs, and great classes fit schemes. You know, if you go out and get a six foot five you know, strong arm quarterback in the system. I don't think he it really fits. Yeah. You know, they go out and if, I don't care what I don't care if Grayson Lambert was coming out of high school today, high four star or not. You wouldn't sign that kid. I don't I don't know if that's is that a great get. Well, the numbers say yes because he's a four star, but that's a, that's compared to every other kid. It's not compared to kids that would fit in this system. And so I think people have to keep in mind that when we're trying to judge whether or not. Coaches are doing a good job recruiting. It's about more than just 
how good is this player. It's about how that player fits into what they want to do and how many other dudes like him do they have to fit in to do what the coach wants to do. And I think those pieces get the one of the bad, one of the worst things to come out uh, of Mike's era. And I'm not not trying to bag him. I'm not trying to you know to 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 just you know uh, throw shade here. But I'm just being honest. Like one of the worst things to come out of it is is that that there there's highs and lows in, of uh, across positions, and that was a common theme. And if anything, that Bronco and his staff have shown you early on is that they will co- they will concentrate on what they need to concentrate on. And they're not out there just trying to win the press conference. You know, they're not out there just trying to, you know, get is is you know get these great you know get this highly rated player on top of this other one because we just need you know highly rated players. That's obviously not their focus. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, we're talking like these about these guys like <laughs> like they're not talented. You some talented players, and and many of them have you know offers as schools that quite frankly have been better performing on the national stage than Virginia has in the last few years. And I know that's a, a long list, unfortunately. True. But the, you know, when, when you, you, I think you kind of, you elaborate, you, you kind of talked about it. It's, um, they are doing a very good job of recruiting to positions of need. So guess what? You know, we're really thin at offensive line after this year, especially after this year. Um, so, Let's say the you know the three star or two star offensive lineman just turns out to be a career backup. Well, guess what? That's fine because we we're gonna need them because you're gonna have to replace a bunch of guys on on top of them. Um, you know when you when you're recruiting to a position that is very, we don't need a two star defensive back right now. You know or you know two star wide receiver, but you know adding depth at the offensive line, adding depth on the defensive line. You're going to need those guys, whether or not they end up being the starter or the backup. You're going to need them. There's going to be some game where you need that guy. And we talked about the thing that occurs to me most about the staff, and I don't think I even texted you guys about this. I just randomly like watched some BMU, BYU highlights last week. If you go back, if you go watch BYU play like the year they played us in Charlottesville and with Taysom Hill running the offense, and then you go watch with Tanner, you know, Tanner Mangum running it, it's like two completely different offensive coordinators. The receivers when Hill was playing looked like any dude who could block someone. And the receivers with Tanner, they looked like really good receivers, but they were the same people. They were just, you know, coached to do something different and bought in. Right. So I'm I'm very encouraged, you know, with the versatility that the staff brings. And it, it kind of reminds me of I keep drawing the parallels between what Broncos doing and what Tony did because it's very similar situations. You know, you know, Mike London had a, had a little bit of success, and, and Lado had that you know regular season championships under, under his belt. Um, but there needed to be a fundamental change in the program, and you go back and look at that first full class that Tony got, and it was guys like, if I remember correctly, it was like Will Regan and what KT Harrell was probably the highest ranked recruit out of that class. Um, but it turns out to be like Joe Harris and Akil Mitchell, you know the 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 little three star flyers he took that that bought in and turned out to be talent. So you don't have to have. Yeah, you know, it'd be great to come out and get five stars who bought in and were everything you wanted. But let's face it, it's probably not going to happen when you've been largely irrelevant for a while. Um, but trust, you know, good good coaches, good people, good leaders turn average players into great players. Um, I haven't been. I mean, I'm trying to think. 
off the top of your head, uh, I believe he's Bronco had what five or six guys drafted out of BYU the last few years. Um, Anza Van Noy, Kafusi, uh, maybe is that the other one? Yeah, he was picked in uh, like the fifth round, I think, or so by the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, I think most of those guys are three stars. I think one of them. They're, was they're a four draft. Star. They're draft. Uh, you know, their draft success was kind of hindered over the years because their players are so old. Yeah, um, exactly. And that, that ends up working against you at the NFL draft. But um, like John Beck, the quarterback that they had drafted, uh, probably like a decade ago now, he was a second round pick, but he was like thirty. The, the Malcolm Brogdon factor, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I'm encouraged by just the fact that this staff has come in, and let's not forget. I mean, they've only been on grounds now for what, less than seven months, essentially, and they've identified the weaknesses in this team and they're recruiting to them. So for me, that's encouraging. Um, sure, I'd love for them to go out and find, you know, the Andrew Lux of the world or whoever it might be, you know, the Tim Tebow's of the world to fit their scheme. And who you know who will completely buy into the system, but but you usually that's don't. That's not those how it works. Guys, Yeah, you don't get those guys in the first year. No, I mean, and and honestly, I, the way I look at it is, even if they get some high level players, I feel like those guys will probably be bought in too, just because this staff doesn't seem like the type of staff that's going to sell them some pipe dream that's not going to be the way it is when they get there. Right. And um, that's, I think that's I, a really good I point. think they'll be pretty straightforward about what it is that they expect and and so on. Well, I think that's a. I want to. I want to build on that for a second because one of the things that I thought was an interesting theme, Dave mentioned themes earlier. Uh, I went to the kids say they they went to camp and um, they went to camp and it was unlike anything they they'd seen yet, right? But one thing that has been interesting to me has been um, one of the one of the things coming out of the spring was the exit interviews were different, right? Instead of you going and sitting down with coach, you went and you sat with the entire coaching staff. And they basically talked about what you needed to improve on and where they saw you fitting in and stuff like that. They, they do something – it sounds like they do something similar or they have done something similar with these recruits, which is they bring them in, they talk to them about how they all fit in. There, there's, no, there's no shell game going on here. Like there's no – like sometimes you let a recruit – like I know some coaches would like let a recruit think they're going to start or let a recruit think that they're the main guy at this position, but they just don't tell them because they don't want to discourage them, right? I think Bronco and his staff have done, and nothing nothing shows this better than the than the John Curvin recruitment, right? They've they've been brutally honest at times, probably almost to their own fault, you know. Whereas the, you know they had a kid that they liked a lot, and you know what? But then they decided to go in a different direction. Um, like John Curvin was a committed tight end commitment, right? He was a he was a com- from a from a school that clearly they wanted to get in on, right? But what did they 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 were honest with him, like, hey, we don't really. We don't see you there. And and then to, for them to, to still go back and offer him as a defensive end, and now they're probably on the verge of getting him. Um, I, mean, that's, I mean, that's unprecedented as far as I, I mean. My, I can't remember the last time you had a kid who decommitted and recommitted at a different position. I mean, I just don't I'm think not sure it ever happened, happened in the history of recruiting. I don't think it's I, – I, for me, I know there are multiple – I know there are lots of kids who – who will you know? I've I've heard stories of multiple commitments to mul- to the same school, but this is something I mean would just be truly unprecedented. Bronco and his people they do things the way they do them, and I don't think there's any doubt about what their intentions are for you as a player, right? If they if they don't know what position you're going to be in, like with Gom, they said going in they're like you know we think you're gonna we're gonna work you out at linebacker on at outside linebacker. 
um, he got there, and they're like, you know, we kind of want to see you at middle linebacker too. And so they basically told him, so you can play any of the four spots. Um, I, I think in situations like that, they tell him. But otherwise, they're not they're not gonna gonna let you believe something just to get you there. And that's gonna pay off for him in the long run. It, it times it'll hurt, right? You might you might tell a kid, you know, you, there might be some times where Tony Bennett's a little brutally honest and loses a kid to transfer. But in the end, it works out better. The thing that stands out to me about this enti- this whole tangent here um, is that if you think about if you think about a kid like Jordan Williams, he's responding to the fact that they have structure. He's responding to the fact that they have very clearly explained to him how they see him fitting in. They've he's responding to the fact that it is earned and not given. Right, the the guys that fit will fit with you regardless of whether or not they're highly rated or not, right? Tony Bennett has shown that. That that class that Dave was talking about earlier, like it had guys who stuck and it had guys who didn't. But the guys who the guys who stuck, did, it wasn't because they were lower rated or highly it didn't matter. Like it, it mattered because they were who they were, right? And now he's able to recruit higher rated players because they've had more on field success. I can't tell you how when you are a school like Virginia where you do not have any kind of football pedigree that kids in this day and age have any idea about. Like, don't talk to me. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be mean, but don't talk to me about those, like, seven weeks once where they were number one. Like, I know more to more. I get it, you know? But, like, that might as well be the moon to kids going through the rec- their recruitments in 2016, okay? Yeah, they were, like, negative eight. When exactly. That- <laughs> like, they, like they, they can't even, like, most of that stuff is not even on YouTube. Okay. Right, and then it's even like the 2011 run where they went to the Chick Fil A Bowl. Right. Like, prob- unless you live in Virginia or you like a Virginia no fan, idea. you don't remember that. No idea, right? And so, and there isn't like a you know there isn't a guy in the pros right now who is just lighting it up. I mean, there look there are a lot of quality players. Don't get me wrong, but there's not like a, it wasn't like Megatron. When, you know what I'm saying? There's it's not like Odell Beckham Jr. went to UVA. You, it's incredibly difficult. And yet the thing that resonates with these players is like I keep hearing it time and time again, confidence in the coaching staff, confidence in the coaching staff. Virginia's almost being able to make its own like football pedigree just off the fact that Bronco and his people go to bowl games. Think about yep. that for a second. Like there's no recent history that they can they can hang their hat on. They have to do every uh, this is what we did before we even got here. Now granted, they're selling and they're selling, you know, great football and great education. And these kids, the the guys who who they've been getting, are guys that really identify with that. That's the same. I think that's you know you you're looking at well both Williams and Beckton. I think one of the things they're identifying with is being coached well. You know, they want to be they want to they want to be prepared for the next level. They want to be prepared for life. And I think they understand that this is a staff that can can do that for them. I, I don't I, I don't make any and uh, any. Um, any distinctions to me between a kid who who understands what he wants out of his coach on the field and is a kid who understands what he wants out of the school for his life? To me, I think those are just as important. And so I think for what Bronco and his staff have to do at Virginia, they're doing exactly that. So anybody who's worried about that recruiting, I understand you're waiting for four stars and blah, 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 blah. I get that. But the fact that they were able to make, to make any hay, honestly, in some ways, astonishes me. Right there, there always is going to be a bump from a new coach. Like that's just kind of the way it works. But you have the bump is always is always impacted by like where the where that school what's who that school is what's been going on there. Um, because most of these kids, when they started paying attention to football, Virginia was bad, bad, bad. Um, 
12 men on the field constantly bad. Just every week was like a mockery bad, right? Maybe they won, they won a game here or there, but you know what? In the ways that they did it was just bad. And so for a lot of these kids, of course, they weren't looking. You know, when, uh, these I, I keep point, I keep hearing the you know, like, well, how 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 do we not have any shot at these kids? Because those kids, when they started formulating their ideas about that your school, it was just not good, and they're yeah. too, and they they don't want that. That's not what they want out of their experience. Now, if Bronco comes out there, puts some scraps together, they make it to a bowl game this year, they're able to to put something together for the next year. Okay, now now you not only have a staff that was able to identify kids, get that relationship started. And then build, and then kind of you know show them something on the field. Now that's that's your ideal right there, but it's not going to happen at a school like Virginia overnight. It's just not. Uh, it's just yeah. that's just not how it works. Not to build on that too much, Fred, but yeah, I think as we all get older, yeah, and I don't know what the average age of subscriber is on on Cavs Corner, but me as a forty two year old now, these kids were recruiting now were born in ninety nine to two thousand one, somewhere in that range. You know, for most of the kids who are you know, juniors, um, juniors and seniors. Think about Virginia football since 99 to 2001. Even if you want to give the kids a benefit of the doubt that they can remember when they were four. Okay. So let's, let's say 2004. Think of how little Virginia's accomplished since 2004 on the football field. It's, it's not, I mean, how many bowl games is it? Three, maybe. Yeah. 2005, 2007 and 2011. Right. I don't think that's good. So, you know, and then the, some really low lows. Like, oh, and also, and also, you have to think about like, uh, I don't know exactly who to draw a parallel to. It's tough, but there's other teams that even in failure have had more exposure and good exposure. Like Virginia, you know, if you're playing those twelve thirty ACC network games, like people aren't watching those, so kids aren't watching those. So yeah, when you like the right. the games against Duke that you either won or lost, you know, in the last ten years, they're not really relevant. Like they're not playing relevant games. That's what I mean. Yeah, and I think a and lot I, of. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say at least you know I mean they played those games against Oregon or whatever, but the only are you know those those games they always seem to get drilled. So I mean, even when you are kind of in the spotlight, you're getting drilled. Yeah, and it's you know I think one thing to. Even though Virginia has suffered, I mean, you look at other, I'm trying to, you know, you're right, it's hard to draw a parallel. Um, but it's very few schools that exist in a state with another Division One program that have struggled like Virginia has and had that same, like, Tech can say they've been great all they want, but they have struggled. They have pretty much been Virginia the last six or seven years with the added benefit of a little bit easier out of conference schedule and then beating us face to face, you know, head to head. It's you're talking about an entire state that it, for the most part, for the last six years outside of the Commonwealth, the football has been irrelevant. And, and that's the truth. And that's, you see that in, when you go look at the top 20 in the, in the state this year, I mean, how many of those guys are going to stay home? And it's not like Virginia is losing that guy out to losing out to Virginia Tech on a lot of these guys. Virginia Tech and Virginia are losing out on these guys to to schools outside the Commonwealth. And yeah, because those kids are watching teams like Clemson all the time. Yeah. Like, so they feel like a connection to those schools just as much as the in-state schools. The only difference is they might have more of their peers going to the in-state schools. Right. Maybe. Yeah. And then the Maybe. other thing too is that I've 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 always been I don't know blue. It's always been kind of blowing my mind about like the amount of time that kids will spend in a car. 
to go on a visit. <laughs> because, like, you think about it and you think, man, like, Clemson is a long ass way away from, like, the 757. And yet kids will get in a car and be there, you know? Like, when Ricky DeBerry was, like, driving all over the America, I just remember thinking, man, there's a lot of time in a car. And I'm like, my dad would just not have done that, you know? Like, I was, it was very clear to me <laughs> when I was going to go to school. It was like, all right, you can go to school in Virginia somewhere. You know, like, so we always think of location, and location does come into play. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to pretend that it doesn't. I'm just saying that the way location matters is not necessarily, hey, I don't want to be a long way from home. It's, hey, I want my family to come be able to come see me play. But if you go to Clemson, your game's going to be on TV every week anyway. You know what I mean? Like, you go to Florida State, like, you know, if you're uh, you're Levante, like, you're going to be on TV. It doesn't matter, you know? So like, and you hey, get to play in those big games that they right, watch. Right, exactly. So that's the other thing too, and it's all about the experience. Like, I think if you have, if you're a kid who has an opportunity to go to one of those football factories, and you see guys that go to the league who were backups at those schools, you know what I mean? Like, you don't even have to be successful in some of these places, and you will still get a shot at the next level. Now, I've always been a big believer that if you are good, that the the scouts will find you. You know, the game will find you. Doesn't matter if you're, how small your school is. Doesn't matter how much they did not succeed. But man, it I mean, the first, the first two picks in the draft are quarterbacks from Cal and a and an FCS school. Yeah, exactly. But man, it makes it a lot easier when you go to Alabama. You know, so I, I kind of feel like in a lot of ways, the blueprint is clear. If you're gonna if you if you're gonna win at Virginia, you got to do two things. One is you have to have you have to have an ability to coach up whatever you got. Okay. And then two is, once you do coach up what you got, you got to be able to recruit to a profile. I think the biggest mistake that Virginia Tech made was when they went away from recruiting to the profile of what, got them, of what gave them success. They decided they were all of a sudden going to be big-time football, and they started trying to recruit like it, and, they, and it just never worked. But when they, when they turned the two-and-a-half, you know, two-to-three-star kid into something, that's what they did well. And I think for Virginia, for Bronco to be successful, they got to coach up what they got now. And then when they recruit, they got to find kids who fit the academic profile, who are all about doing things the way Bronco wants to do them. Just like Tony's found kids who want to do things the way Tony wants to do them. I mean, I understand that football and basketball are different. And I, I think we, we draw these parallels sometimes because it makes sense. But I also understand, too, like you got to have 85 guys, you know, on a football team, 85 scholarships. That's a lot different than managing 13. And so I understand that like, there's going to be dramatic differences, but by and large, there are some similarities, at least in terms of the overarching themes. And I think the blueprint is there. What Bronco and them have done over the last week, I think, are fine guys who fit that profile. That they're kids who care about education. They're kids who care about you know more than just going to you know in a BCS bowl. But they are kids who can play, um, and they're kids I think who, being developed, can can play even better. And yeah, not to, you know, not to bash on rivals, Brad, because I, I think you work like you're, you might be affiliated with the rivals. Is that what I hear? A little bit, a little bit. Um, yeah, but yeah, the recruiting services don't rank a offensive lineman based on the offense he could play well in, right? I mean, they rank that offensive lineman based on how he does against a defensive end and a situation they see him largely in one-on-one situations, right? But like, I'm trying to think of a good example, Jordy Lipsy. There's a good example. I mean, he was, what, the number two center in the country? 
five. At least the number two. Yeah, he was. He was. It was. He, he was one a highly rated guy. He, he was one of the. He was a five star recruit, um, four or five star recruit, and yeah, you know, he, he ended up being a decent player for Virginia. But you know, and the offense were running not so good, <laughs> not so good initially. So yeah, it's look. It, it's pretty clear when you go to an event and you know you, you watch the camp film. And you look at those guys outside the hashes. It's pretty clear you can you can see who's going to be a star because those guys are largely one on one. And when for you the, look at the, the Virginia's the class, record, most of the class so far has been you know that you know, offensive line, defensive line, linebacker. That guy is not always as easy to evaluate in a one on one setting as he is in a scheme setting. Right. Um, and when record, you've got a coaching staff that clearly has a scheme and knows how to coach to it, and you know. Honestly, we ha- we haven't seen him coach a game at Virginia, but right. you know, Touje. So far, I, <laughs> everything you see from the offensive line, there's more, you know, there's more consistency there. There's more belief in what they're doing than I can remember since you know Ron Mattis had a little good run there at Virginia. But yeah, you know, I'm probably more excited about the offensive line and coaching to a specific scheme, which is go fast, go hard. Right. Um, which maybe is a different athlete than is the five-star tackle who weighs 350 pounds and you know can block the rush in in the SEC. And that's now look uh, again that uh, we can we can shape it in the way we want. And, you know, talent is talent, but right. I don't think there's any reason to be you know in a sense of despair because we don't have that five-star guy yet. I would agree with that. For the record, Jordy Lipsy was a uh, four-star center out of uh, Lake Brantley in Altamonte Springs, Florida. Uh, was ranked nationally first at at his position, which was yeah, center. Okay. He was a top 100 kid, and he was 14th in, in the state of Florida. He had offers for Florida, Florida State, Miami, Stanford, and Tennessee. Yeah. Woo! I mean, but he didn't start. That was, a good, that was a good get. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good get in that class, right? He gave uh, us like one really good year, right? I mean, uh, well, I think that's the other thing too is that rankings and ratings. You're judging off of potential. How good can this guy be? None. Dave's right. None of that ever. Uh, is, is accompanied with the scheme that they're going to be in, um, which, you know, I think is one of the things that us as team sites, we have, you know, we focus on, but that's not necessarily something that an analyst focus on. And you're right, especially like you look at guys in the trenches, they're basically just going one-on-one. They, there's no no fit, you know, uh, taken into account. But I, I think you're right. And I think um, as we wrap up here, I think the big overarching point for me the last week has been there's something good happening when – when you're hearing similar things from multiple people. And these kids don't know each other very well yet. They're getting there. Um, but they're saying a lot of the same stuff, which means that they are uh, they're on the same page. And this is not Virginia going out and just taking you know a dude. Like, hey, let me just add a body. These guys fit what they want to fit. Um, you know, you, you take you, I used the Delaney kid again. They're looking for a specialist. Why? Because they don't know what they need. They don't know whether they need a punter, a kicker, or a kickoff guy. But they like having a guy who can do all three. And he went out and, you know, he showed he can do that. Um, I think versatility is a big plus, but I also think the fact that these guys are, are very clear about what they need and very clear about the numbers of guys that they, they need to look at and take. I mean, it's just a it's 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 one of those commonsensical things, but it's not necessarily the way things are always done. I don't want to just bang on the old staff, but a lot of schools don't do that. A lot of schools just recruit and try to take. You know, they basically treat it like one big draft, like give me the best available. But on some level, you got to have a plan. And I think if there's anything you can say, maybe you don't like the plan, but Broncos got a plan. 
Um, and that much is is clear. It'll be interesting to see what Virginia yeah. does over the next few weeks. Um, you know, if anybody else decides they want to try to commit um, during the dead period. Um, but it should make for um, uh, a, kind of an interesting. I guess we'll get we'll, we'll get uh, Williams's decision in early uh, August, and then uh, I think Becton is going to. I really feel like he's going to decide sooner than he says. He says National Signing Day, but I just don't see any way he goes that long. Um, and maybe maybe you get those two, and you don't you don't fret about it as much. But we'll we'll have to kind of wait and see. Um, but I think uh, I think that's a good place to put a pin in it for this week. Obviously, a an interesting week uh, on the trail. Um, I don't think we're just going to pick up 10 more commitments in the next week, but who knows? Um, stranger things have happened. But really want to appreciate it, say I appreciate everybody out there for giving us a listen, as always, for supporting the show. Thanks to uh, to Dave and Justin for putting up with me for a, a good 48 minutes and change. Um, and um, I think next week um, the crew might take a week off. We might have one of our, our special guests next week. Um, and then we'll we'll get back into some maybe football prep talk uh, in a few weeks. So, uh, again, thank you, everybody, for giving us a listen. For uh, David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CatsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.